Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Revelation. And this evening, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3, starting to read at verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white. They are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Shall we pray? Our Father, we just ask your blessing upon us now as we look at this passage together and we do it in your name. Amen. Well, Revelation 3, verse 1 to 6, is the church at Sardis. Now, Sardis is the modern-day name for Sardis, and it's about 50 miles from Ephesus. Sardis was the capital city of the ancient Persian kingdom of Lydia, and it had once been an an important city for trade and industry. But over many hundreds of years, it had lost its commercial importance. When John wrote his letter to the church, the city was in decline. It was a shadow of its former self. Although it had had lost its reputation, it still maintained most of its wealth. And it was known mainly for its production of woolen garments. It was a place that had had a reputation, a reputation for being a great city, a reputation that it no longer had, and a reputation that it could no longer live up to. At the time of John writing this letter, the people of Sardis worshipped Artemis, the Greek goddess of nature. So we come to this first verse of Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. What we have here in this first verse is a strong condemnation against this church. But before we have a look at that, let's just think about uh, and consider for a moment this reference, the reference of the seven spirits, the seven spirits of God. And I think we need to understand these things and and hear what's being said in the early days of um, coming into this book of Revelation in these first few chapters, because it helps us as we go forward. So, the seven spirits of God. When you go to chapter 4 and verse 5 of Revelation, you read this, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Then when we come to chapter 5 of Revelation and verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, 
encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Now we will look at these passages later when we come to them, but for this evening, the reference to the number seven is a metaphor here for the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Ephesians and read these two verses, verse 4, or these three verses, 4 through to 6 of Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we have here reference to the the, the Trinity. These verses from Isaiah might help us understand this a, a little bit better. Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 3 says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So here in this passage that we've just read from Isaiah, we have some of the personality of the one Holy Spirit. This is the one Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. We read that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Notice that phrase that heaven was opened. You know, this is the heaven that's been opened a little bit for John to peek into. But this is the occasion when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God descended on him. And here we have the unity of the Godhead. We see in these few verses the Father, the Son and the Spirit, the three distinct persons of the Trinity. We're also looking at the one who is the same Holy Spirit who came in the form of tongues of fire at Pentecost. Listen to what we read in Acts 2 verse 3 and 4. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You see, a couple of things here to, to look at as we go into this book of Revelation here in Acts. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. You see, this is indescribable. This is the best description they could give of the Holy Spirit when he came in this way. And as we continue into the book of Revelation, we'll see also the symbolism of numbers. Now, the number seven speaks of perfection. It speaks of fullness. It speaks of completeness. 
We're just considering uh, here this evening some aspects of the Trinity. And what we have is one God, three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each with their own personality. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, this authority, all authority, is given to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, just as we consider these things, I want to finish this part of this evening's message with a quote quote from Ligonier Ministries. Excuse me. And this is on this subject of the Trinity. And just listen to what this little passage says. It says this. The Father is not more God than the Son, and the Son is not more God than the Spirit. We can distinguish the three persons, but we cannot separate them. They are the one God. This is beyond our infinite mind, our finite minds, our ability to fully comprehend. But that's not impediment to faith. What the Word tells us about God is true. He is the one in essence and three in person. That's a good passage to think about. And I think that it's important that we understand this as we take it with us as we continue through this book of Revelation. Well, for this evening, let's go back to the church at Sardis. Um, when we come to verse 2, we have here the call. So Revelation 3, verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You see, the church seems to be in a comfortable place. The problem is that they are resting on their laurels. They are in a comfort zone. They are satisfied with their past success. And because of that, action is required. And here's the action that's required as we come to verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard hold it fast and repent but if you do not wake up i will come like a thief and you will not know at what time i will come to you see what they have is the gospel what they have received is the gospel that's what they have had they've lost the grip on this and they need to take a hold of it again and hold it fast And they have the opportunity to do this. And this reminds us of the verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first two verses of that chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, about time and dates, 
We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, now this passage here in Thessalonians is a direct reference to the second coming of Jesus. And while it's referred to here in this message to the church at Sardis, for the people in the church at Sardis, it is for them to wake up. It is a call for them to deal with their immediate situation. They've not necessarily compromised the gospel, but they have become complacent. Complacent with the value of what they have. Complacent with the value of the gospel. And they need to wake up to this. And if they don't, there will be consequences. The reference to Jesus coming like a thief in the night to deal with their situation would remind them that twice in the history of their city, a city that was thought to be impregnable but was taken from them unexpectedly by invading armies. Invading armies who at two different points in their history easily breached the defences. Why? because the people were not aware of the danger that they were in. And it appears that on both occasions, the guards on the battlements were either not there to keep watch, and those that should have been there, apparently, were sleeping. So the people in Sardis would be able to relate to these things, the thief coming when they least expected And then when we come to verse 4, we come to the faithful who are there in this church in Sardis. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. You know, the mention of garments to the people who live in this city, the city that produces clothes, This is no accident. White garments are associated with purity. You know, let's just go back to the book of Daniel. Daniel 12, verse 9 through to 10. He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. You see, in Daniel's prophecy, they were to be sealed up. Now, In John's prophecy, they are to be opened. For this is what the Lord said to Daniel. He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Talking about garments and clothing, let's come to Mark's Gospel. Mark 9, verse 2, 3 to 4. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, I refer to this passage because John, John the Apostle, who is John the writer of this letter, saw this. He saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, 
He saw those white gleaming garments that were beyond description and in his book of Revelation he will refer to these clean, this clean white clothing. In Revelation 19 verse 14, the armies of heaven will follow him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. You see, these are purified garments made spotless and refined, undefiled, as they are dressed in a manner that makes them worthy to walk with the Lord. So back to Revelation 3 and verse 5, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name that that, of that name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Now let's just stop again for a moment. We could look at this in more depth, but for the point this evening that I want to make, this is not a threat to blot out the name of a believer from the book of life. But it is confirmation that once saved, you are saved for eternity. You see, there would have been those within this church at, at Sardis who were not truly born-again believers. They were just going through the motions. But there were those who were the true believers, whose names were in the book of life and would never be plotted out, never removed. Revelation 3, verse 6. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, as we draw towards a close for this evening, uh, as Christians, we must wake up to the fact that we live in a society that promotes a trust in its own powers rather than in God's provision. So we must be watchful that we unlike the Church of Sardis, will hold fast to what we have received and what we have heard. We will hold tight to the Gospel. Just a few verses from Romans 13, verse 11. This is what Paul said. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, they're good words for us to live by in these difficult days, but days which are closer to the coming of Jesus. When it refers to salvation here, the salvation that is near now is the fulfilment of the salvation that we have in Jesus that will become complete when we are with him in glory. Let's just pray. Our Father, we just thank you again for this time that we can gather around your word. Thank you for these few moments we've spent together in your presence. 
Thank you for what you have said to us through this passage in the book of Revelation. And Father, we just pray that you will help us to understand it and to be able to respond to it and apply it to our lives. Oh, Father, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.